0: Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent.
1: I was 21 and it was my senior year. I was a few weeks away from graduation and Uh, literally the Austin 10 K was the morning of my accident. So I was going to run and I'd been running really hard, uh, trying to train for this and, and having a little bit of fun with it. So I was in great physical shape, which I think probably saved me on some level. I, uh, had a head on collision and uh, i'll never know if it was my fault i think the other guy must have jumped the gun or at least didn't slow down and rolled through the intersection pretty fast and it was curved and we hit each other almost head-on in a little bit of a curve luckily he was in a suburban and didn't get hurt very badly i was in this small honda civic an older model and it just crunched up. In fact, later, I look back at death reports of 60 miles an hour and faster, and most said instant death. So I was in bad shape. I had a lot of internal injuries. My back was broken in three places. I was slumped over to one side, screaming out the window at this intersection, Lamar and Guadalupe, if you know Austin. And three cars passed by without stopping and it was Sunday morning and I know one of them was going to church and I I was like I hope they're calling when they get somewhere this is terrible and then a nurse stopped her and her boyfriend called for the ambulance and she stayed with me and said don't move and then they loaded me into the ambulance I waited 17 18 hours until I went into surgery so there was a a shortage of neurosurgeons, and I didn't have health insurance. So I was waiting for someone to take my case, and I had a lot of time to think and cry. And I lost feeling in one leg. And before I went into the operating room, I gave this kind of half hearted prayer like, Oh God, if there's a God, please help me. I've got to walk. You know, I don't want to live this way. And I went into surgery. And then my life changed dramatically during that surgery. This is when the near-death experience happened. And it was nothing like a dream, Alex. The only thing I can say is the minute I was outside of my body, I was so at peace. I just knew that the consciousness that I was experiencing was far greater than what I experienced in the body that I suddenly just understood so much more. I felt more awake (laughs) in a sense, just more alert. I could see with this 360 degree vision, I could see the whole operating room. I looked down at my body, didn't feel any connection really to the body other than that's where it was. I didn't feel this, the way we're in the body right now, you know, it's us. And yet in that realm, that was no longer me. (laughs) It was just this thing bleeding out on the table. And I was what continued on my soul, my spirit, who I am. And when I looked up at the surgeons, I saw that there were these light beings behind them. And that's, that's why I called my book Angels in the OR. It's not really a religious book and I think sometimes people who are highly religious are very turned off by my book because it's really just a near-death experience and then a story of of the awakening that that ushered in and the changes that it ushered in but these light beings were enormous like eight feet tall and they sent this healing light energy through the doctors through their hands into my body I felt very much at peace that they knew what they were doing, (laughs) that they were higher beings, so to speak. Mm. They were highly intelligent and they communicated with telepathy with me. So this whole time I was at peace. I knew what was going on. I understood this realm because of their energetic health. And then the monitor flatlined. And I remember thinking, oh, well, the angels just told me I'm going to walk and run. So I'm coming back to this body. That means they have to revive it. I don't want to see this. What's out there? (laughs) And so, you know, I went into the hall, saw my stepdad get a candy bar, which later became this verifiable detail that researchers love to talk about. But to me, it was important because my mom and dad verified it later that he came in with this candy bar and they were certain I died. And I feel like there's a biological connection, a spiritual connection between families. And they just understood at that moment that I'd left my body and they were on the floor praying crying you know asking that I live and that was the very moment I was dying and, and going out into the stars and feeling this oneness with everyone I'd ever met in Austin I just felt like every barista every person who'd hand me a bagel you know like they were my friend and every person I'd seen in class my professors everyone I would passed on the drag I was just like I love you all have a great life You know i'm going on and the further i got away from my body the more i didn't want to come back so i started feeling these downloads as we call them today the way it looked to me was just light coming towards me and filtering into my consciousness and i would hear actual words like love is all that matters it's all that you take with you when you leave remind them to go to nature remind them to be kind to one another here's a moment in your life where you could have done better and so i started seeing these life reviews and better was uh being more connected to others not being judgmental that was where i was off track you know i was met with much judgment as a kid and i met others with a different kind of judgment you <laughs> know it doesn't make it right you know but that's mm-hmm. that's how it all begins and so I considered myself an intellectual and so I looked down on people who weren't in college or weren't doing the same things I was doing and I saw how silly that was that there were great people and here I was not looking at the heart I was looking at outward things and I realized oh you have to look at the heart and soul of people to know who they are and I want to show my heart and soul and I want to always look for that in people and and then I transitioned into this realm, which most people imagine heaven to be like, you know, rolling green hills and, you know, beautiful skies. And there was no death. Everything was just alive. You know, how you look at nature and sometimes the grass is dead and, you know, part of the tree is falling off. Everything was perfect, including my grandfather who was over there in that realm. Who looked about 35 and I hardly recognized him because he had died of leukemia and was very thin and pale toward the end. And and he just looked strong and beautiful. And I was like, well, of course everyone wants to be their strong, beautiful self, like 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 the nature that I see. No errors, nothing, nothing awry, everything full of light. And so I felt very peaceful with him. And at some point though, he we spent some time interacting, but he turned towards me and said, do you want to go on? And I knew on meant closer to God. And I was like, yes. And my soul just like leapt forward. And I was going through this wind, which was like a bunch of prayers. So I began to hear everyone's prayers. And I think this should give people comfort because even if I had died, even if someone dies, they actually do hear and feel your prayers and your love for them as they're leaving. And, you know, they know that you care. So if you didn't get to say, I love you to someone and they transitioned, they felt your thoughts, you know, they really felt your energy. And so that was beautiful to me. And then I got closer to God and I just felt all the wounds of childhood, any abuse, any verbal abuse, anything that had really dimmed my light and my my self-esteem over the years I just felt like oh it wasn't me it wasn't me all these wounds weren't me I'm loved I'm cherished I'm like a child of God (laughs) you know like and I heard earlier be like a little child and I knew that that meant be open to wonder be be easily to forgive and let go of things and be in that moment of joy And then I felt like I understood that love is all that matters. And I finally felt okay. And I didn't want to come back. Like that was the point where I was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't really care about that anymore. I want to stay here. And that's when I was stopped. As many near-death experiencers are they feel like they hit a wall or they just can't go on energetically. And I felt this loud, booming voice, which vibrated through me, say, look down and somehow magically I was able to look down through the clouds You know, and it was just this vision of a river and people walking along this river. And the light said, some people uh, will be full of fear and some will be in the light of spirit. And you remind everyone to stay in the light and you remind everyone who has fear to let it go and to find the light. And and it was, you know, more complicated than that, but that was the gist of it, that there's just fear and love, you know, which we learn from a Course in Miracles and which is kind of a basic tenet of many teachings. But there, it looks so simple. Here, it looks so complicated. So there, I was like, okay, that's fine. How am I gonna do that? Oh, you're gonna be a teacher.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now, back to the show.
1: And I was like, no, that was the one moment I remembered who I was. (laughs) And and I was like, I'm shy. I hate public speaking. And I really want to make a lot of money. So this is absolutely the wrong choice for me. I mean, I want to do anything non-traditional, but not that for a woman. Just not that. And it was like God laughed at me somehow. And I felt my whole soul kind of hurled almost like a softball or something like I was crunched up into a softball and thrown back into my body (laughs) and and it was horrible being back in the body I was immediately changed though there are some near-death experiencers who, who you know it's submerged for a time and then they remember it I knew exactly what had happened to me and I did not feel like I was fully back in my body nurses were after that massive surgery where they repaired part of my spine and put in rods and metal and all kind of stuff uh they were asking me my name and I felt like I was I filled up the entire room I felt like I was a part of everyone and, and I still was in this we uh kind of mentality so I was it's like, oh, her name. Yes, I remember the individuality of this person. And I believe her name is Trisha. And now I have to come back and be her. <laughs> and they're like, you sound a little out of it. You're going to need another blood transfusion. And I was like, uh, my name is Trisha. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> but there was really a disconnect. Like I didn't feel like me at first. I, I felt still outside of my body. And so lots of after effects happen, even in the hospital, but, you know, the coming years, I was very different than I was before. I would still, you know, be in my consciousness and then obviously altered by the morphine. So I still, I I didn't know initially if I was going to lose the near-death experience because they were giving me so many drugs. So, you know, there was, there was a, a time I was worried. Yeah, it was kind of highlights of what I'd done well and what I needed to improve on. And so what I'd done well was like playing in nature and being kind to animals. Like I saw a lot of childhood moments where I was really just in alignment with God and peace and joy and happiness. Even though in my mind, I was like, oh, I grew up poor. It was terrible. There were many moments I was just a a kind child and that was good. It was judgment, which I'd carried on in high school and college. You know, it was mainly the angels at the first and my grandfather and everything else was communicated through light. And when I was doing the life review, it was like this light was coming from far away, almost like circles of light that were descending and kind of hitting me. And oddly enough, some of those images from the James Webb telescope, the one with the pink in the Mm -hmm. sky, look very familiar. (laughs) Like I was somewhere like that, just way out there. And in space, and and then almost like a hologram, parts of my life were being projected into the night sky, for lack of a better way of describing it. Three dimensional, but it was it it happens in in such an interesting way. It's like you know you're given messages and you see something, and it 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 happens in a, a way that's hard to communicate here because we don't really have the technology or have the ability. A lot of it's through telepathy. I had nine months in a body cast to set and process it. So in some ways, like older near-death experiencers, sometimes they're back at work two weeks later. Right. You know, I had a, a full year before I went back to college. So I read people like Deepak Chopra and Marion Williamson and, you know, Carlos Castaneda. I read all these books from spiritual people, thought about what was happening, read some psychological material and meditated a lot. So I I think that helped me psychologically was still remaining in contact with my angels and still believing that they were helping with the healing. And I was reading about manifestation and I had set goals for myself. So I stayed in a very positive place. And I also, you know, was given messages. One of the the things angels would not let me do is they would not let me take painkillers. So that was really rough, but I know how many people get addicted to painkillers and I had a bit of an addictive personality. So it was just like a big no. And I had to take like Tylenol and, you know, just basic over the counter stuff. But I took my recovery very slowly. You know, I learned to walk slowly when the body cast was off. I learned swimming as a way to build strength back to the body and, and I learned yoga and stretching, and, you know, I was just in this totally different space, but I was immature, and there were people who took advantage, you know, of a 21-year-old, you know, full of light and friendly and open, and, you know, so there were, there were comical things, you know, there were older men who were pretending to be friends, and I didn't know better, and, you know, just, you know, just all kind of weirdness, um, because I was a, very closed off judgmental cold person you know in some ways so in that that way I kind of kept people away from me you know as this judgy you know 21 year old with an attitude but then I was like I love old people (laughs) you know let's (laughs) talk yes (laughs) so boundaries were hard at first and and then a lot of near-death experiencers, even when they're older, regain a certain innocence and they are taken advantage of in business because there's this, you see the best in people, which is a great, great ability when you're a teacher. You know, you should see the best in your students and and help them rise up to that level. But maybe just walking around hugging psychopaths all day is not, <laughs> not the best choice, you know? So I had to toughen up. <laughs> you know, this is... a sad subject in some ways, but it's an important one to go ahead and discuss. Um, You know, in many ways, my mother and stepdad were accepting of, of me. I stayed at their house during their recovery, you know, and my mom was interested in how I was changing. And I think even to this day, she'd say that, you know, I'm more outgoing and I love teaching and there's certain parts of my personality that change because of that moment. But they go to the type of church and honestly, lots of near-death experiencers, including me, get attacked by people all the time. Just got a terrible review on Amazon from someone who was like, if you're looking for Christ, this is not the book you need to, this is about a girl who does drugs and not a near-death experience. And, and she did not, she found the devil. She did not find Christ. And I'm like, oh, I was like, uh, you know. I'm not going to reach people like that. And ultimately, you know, my mom and stepdad uh, listened to their minister and they said, because I didn't see Jesus in that, that they believed that my experience was of the devil. And they gave me this pamphlet and the pamphlet like burst with fear and anger. And I couldn't even hold the energy of the pamphlet. I was like, Oh! And it was all these stories about near-death experiencers. One was about this woman who left her Baptist minister husband after her NDE. And they were like, see, it causes divorce. It causes people to lose touch with their families. It causes some people to have, you know, to commit suicide. And I was like, no, no no, that woman just had an awakening and she saw life differently from her husband. She was happy. She loved him. He was, he was judgmental. And I was like, I used to be judgmental. Now you're being judgmental. Let's just know we're all loved. And it just, it didn't really work out that way, you know? So it's, it's been tough. Really the people who accepted it the most were kind of acquaintances who were spiritual. Like they were the ones who, You know, I had a Reiki worker neighbor and he was really great and his roommate was spiritual and open and they became my new friends. I waited 25 years to publish my book and some of those agnostic friends from college who are very rational and intellectual. And, you know, we still get along on that level, but not so much on the spiritual level. They're like, oh, I believe it's, it's real for you, but it's not real for me. You know, like That's, that's the way they look at it. They read the book and one woman said, you know what? It did make me sit around for a day and really question what happens when we die you know what what really happens you know how do we interact with you know a, a realm outside of ourselves or is there nothing is it like a dream like you know she spent some time thinking about it and i was i was grateful you know at least my experience has made people contemplate an afterlife Well, I was humbled, to be honest. I was grateful to walk and I was humble enough to just go get my teaching certification and try to figure out why God wanted me to be a teacher. I was like, uh, what's going to happen? And then it all made sense. I prayed in the bathroom before my first class. I was like, all right, if there are angels, will you please just help me with this day? I don't I don't know why this is my career, but let's do it, and I was guided to tell my near-death experience story to every group of students I've ever taught, and so maybe school districts don't appreciate it, but, <laughs> but I do it just to share with them why I teach, and you know, it it brings up great discussions. Some of them have had experiences with ghosts. Some of them believe in UFOs. I mean, you know, like there's, there's all kinds of discussions that we have because of my story that we wouldn't have otherwise. And some people are shocked, you know, and they don't say anything. And some people are probably offended. And I, I never wanted my story to offend anyone who's religious. I just wanted it to.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
1: i guess open their minds to the possibility that you know i heard some messages that could have been from jesus be like a little child love is all that matters and all that we take with us that that consciousness of love can be many different things that that meets us in different places and that I had the experience I needed to have and that they might have the experience they need to have with the afterlife, but there's great compassion and mercy. You know, there's just so much more compassion, freedom than I could have ever imagined. And I felt kind of before, even as a kid, and then after my near-death experience, I I remember my main argument as a kid with parents and, you know, elders was, I just am never going to believe that a kid in India and a kid in China and a kid in Africa. That die of starvation or, or an accident that they're going to hell you just cannot convince me that that's not that's not God <laughs> you know, like and, and the religious answers seemed really silly like well maybe a missionary just talked briefly about Jesus to the kid and so <laughs> the kid's okay and I'm like that that can't be correct <laughs> what about you know, No, <laughs> you know there was I had problems as a as a kid I've actually interviewed some near-death experiences because mm-hmm. i was curious who had the hell experience like howard storm and and i had to ask him i said well did your consciousness need that experience in order to come back to your body and change you know was that part of what you created you know on some level uh, with your consciousness and he was like probably i wouldn't have changed otherwise that that was so you know intense for him you know and so i i look at it like well howard storm should story should get up everyone Uh, some hope because even if you have a consciousness that creates that uh, just remember you can get out (laughs) like like there's a way out and there's a way to experience something different kind of like you know that saying I think it's from Carlos Castaneda the mind can make a hell of heaven or a heaven of hell Mm -hmm. you know that that a lot of times that's what we're doing here and in the afterlife is like part of it is co-creation part of it is an intelligence and a freedom that's meeting you But it's partly your individual individuality it's like you become one with everything but you still remain you you feel this energy of of a greater creation but you still remain you your individual soul
0: i've been able to partner with mind valley to present you guys free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind body soul relationships and conscious entrepreneurship taught by spiritual masters yogis spiritual thought leaders and best-selling authors just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free